Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hey Jonathan, how's it going? It's episode 100. That's kind of crazy. It's kind of crazy. Two years we've been doing this. And we have some massive news this week, Amy. Yeah, because it's April. Yes, it's April and Dale Jr. announced his retirement. Yes. Effective at the end of the year. Yeah. Yes. Oh, there there was other big news this week though, right? Right. A lot of big news. Um, oh, and, and SBC related news. Yes. Yes. Uh, the Dale Jr. thing. Yeah. Sure. I guess that's interesting. Don't, don't, don't you dare. Don't you dare. But moving on. Yes. Moving on. So I was in North Carolina this week. Yes. On the beautiful campus of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, at least it was beautiful after we got out of chapel on Tuesday when the sun came out and it was just gorgeous the rest of the week. Tuesday morning was not good. No. No, and neither was Monday night when I was arriving. It, no. was, it was kind of a mess. But we had a chance to sit down with your boss, Danny Aiken, the president of the seminary, and had a fascinating conversation with him and just, just a wonderful interview. And we've got that as the special bonus to our 100th episode. Yeah, and one reason we wanted to do that for the 100th episode is uh, we wanted it to be a special interview that uh, we talked a little bit about things at Southeastern, but but the big focus was sort of his experience in SBC life. So we wanted for this episode to do something kind of special and unique and, and have a really great reflections. Uh, I'm probably biased when I say this, but I think he is uh, the perfect candidate for that. Oh, yes. He was fantastic. Uh, we're going to get to that interview later in the show. We get some uh, news and notes because Things did not slow down in the SBC this week. In fact, it, it may have been one of the busiest weeks we've seen in some time, starting over in Texas at Prestonwood, where they have announced they will resume giving to the cooperative program without designation. Uh, we've been going for a couple of months now after they had started escrowing their funds uh, because of some issues that Dr. Jack Graham, the pastor at Prestonwood, had with uh, some entities in the Southern Baptist Convention. That seems to have been uh, resolved, and they are now resuming their giving to the cooperative program uh, to the tune, I, I think it's $500,000 a year uh, that will be going back into the cooperative program. Yeah, and that's that's really big news. And uh, one one thing, which this is in the, the Baptist Press story in the show notes, makes reference to our conversation with the chairman of the executive committee, Stephen Rummage, uh, where, you know, we had asked about what happens if uh, to the the plans for the committees to kind of bring a report. They're supposed to bring a report. And, and we said, what happens if things get better? Um, and he said that that could actually indicate resolution of most of the concerns mm-hmm. and would really be kind of a, you know, that would be the, the big part of their report was that, much of it had been resolved. This is that's where we are. We're now at a place here at the end of April where this uh, some some good resolution seems to be coming from this discussion. Yeah, we'll still keep an eye on that report of the study group from the executive committee as well as the officers of the executive committee. So uh, we'll we'll keep an eye out for that. Uh, I think one was supposed to report in June, maybe the other in September. Right. So. Whatever happens with that, we will let you know. Staying over in Texas, Southwestern President Paige Patterson apologized for a Twitter photo that he deemed as, quote, a moment of bad judgment and to, quote, redouble our efforts to put an end to any form of racism on this campus. Yeah, so this is a story that that probably several people, those who are active on social media, were tracking beginning on Tuesday. And so it was, it, it was a discussion for sure. In a lot of circles, this is sort of how they, they officially responded. And so Baptist Press put the entire statement up, 
Uh, and a good story from David Roach kind of recapping what happened. Yeah, the photo in question, which was deleted from Twitter, appeared to depict five of the Southwestern School of Preaching professors dressed in bandanas, sideways baseball caps, gold chains, and other stereotypical hip-hop attire. Uh, Barry McCarty, who is also the Southern Baptist Convention's chief parliamentarian, appeared to be holding a handgun in the picture. Above them was written Notorious SOP, which stands for School of Preaching, an apparent parody name of uh, the Notorious B.I.G. So uh, this full story and full statement is over at Baptist Press, linked as always. And there's other big news, Amy. Yeah. Uh, Right before we recorded on Thursday, a statement from Rick Lance, who's the executive director of the Alabama Baptist State Board of Missions, and John Tweet, who's the president of the state convention and pastor at First Baptist Bell City. Uh, They released a statement about Samford University voting to affirm the recognition of a student group that identifies with values contrary to biblical teachings on sexuality. Uh, This student group is known as Samford Together. We have a story from the Alabama Baptist as well linked here. That group was given provisional recognition in the spring of 2016 and approved by the Student Senate in the fall of 2016. The Faculty Senate approved it earlier this year, and the majority of the full faculty voted for its approval on April the 27th. That's Thursday of this week. So that now goes to the Board of Trustees in September. Uh, Sanford President Andy Westmoreland would be presenting it to them uh, for their consideration, which is the final step in the approval. A lot of different opinions about this, uh, depending sure. on where you fall on uh, theological lines as it relates to Samford. So uh, we'll, we'll definitely keep an eye out on this. This is probably not the last we'll see of this. We'll probably see some more uh, stories and statements in the next week or so. So we'll probably have those uh, for you next week. Yeah. Too. And, and every state, you know, is different in the relationships that they have. Not every state has Baptist colleges, yeah. but uh, but many do and, and are in different stages of relationship, some no longer, uh, some in a very good relationship. Uh, this is this is one that, you know, Alabama Baptists are going to have to walk through. And uh, so it will be important to uh, monitor that. And Rick Lance asks for prayer, you know, as they do this, that they that they walk through this in the right way. So uh, that's that's definitely something that we all need to be doing uh, for the folks in Alabama. Yeah. And staying in Alabama, something we mentioned a few weeks ago about the uh, church police bill uh, looks like Briarwood Presbyterian Church, which is a PCA church uh, pastored by Harry Reader down in the Birmingham area. Uh, looks like they'll be getting their own uh, police officers and police force uh, for the church of 4000 congregates and the 2000 students over at uh, Briarwood Christian School. We will probably see this from Southern Baptist churches down the line after this has been passed now by the Alabama legislature. Uh, so we'll kind of keep an eye on this. This is just uh, getting started, I believe. And it'll be fascinating, Amy, to see if any other states kind of follow the lead here. Yeah, it's very interesting. And, and there are tons of issues, legal issues, and, and uh, just all kinds of questions wrapped up in this. Um, I understand the concerns. I understand maybe even the the desires. Um, where we were located in Waverly, there was a, a headquarter. Uh, where we were located in Waverly, the state police had a headquarters uh, right down from our church. And so we had a number of state police in our church. Now, that wasn't a police force for our church, but I can tell you that I, I really liked that. <laughs> Just Ha- knowing, yeah. knowing that they were there. There's a sense of safety though, right? Yeah, yeah, knowing that they were there. Um, and so I understand the reasons, you know, that people would want to pursue this, but it, it certainly does open up a real can of worms. So, um, so I, I think this will be one to watch. 
Yeah, and some sad news coming out of Missouri this week. Fred Powell, who was uh, kind of a behind-the-scenes leader of the Southern Baptist Convention and the conservative resurgence back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, uh, passed away this week at age 86. He was the top aide uh, to Charles Stanley when Charles Stanley was SBC president. So yeah, he, those are some big, big, big conventions. Right yeah, there. yeah. Uh, remember, that's, you know, at least as best anyone can tell, um, 45,519 messengers. That's the largest uh, deliberative body that that uh, anybody can tell, you know, as far as they can tell. That's yeah. a big task. And so uh, he, he was obviously serving tirelessly in in that capacity. Uh, there's no telling what things he did. He must have been just an unsung hero uh, helping yeah. all with all of that. Yeah, and also was a three-time chairman of the Committee on Order of Business uh, in 92, 93, 94 in Indianapolis, Houston, and Orlando, respectively. So uh, sad to see the passing of Fred Powell. All right, moving on. Amy, there's an article in Baptist Press today that it has you in it. And you. Yeah, we have well. tags at Baptist Press now. How cool is that? I guess it's pretty cool. Can I put that on my resume? Um, you should. See what kind of questions that gets you when you're sharing your resume <laughs> with people. Well, I don't share my resume ever really now. Right, I, I, right. I never really share my resume now. I mean, I'm, put it I'm on your LinkedIn. Am, but put it on your LinkedIn I should put page. it on LinkedIn, yes. Yeah. So this is pretty neat. Sean Hendricks, uh, thanks to the uh, the guys over at Baptist Press, Sean Hendricks had Mike Schuler uh, write a story about our 100th episode. Yeah, that was that was really fun, and we love the folks over at Baptist Press. Um, we, we have good interaction with them, and really support what they do. And it, it's we really appreciate how they support this. Um, now, a couple of interesting things in the story. Uh, it talks yeah. talks about you know SBC this week in SBC history, which is fun. Uh, but you know, Mike Schuler talked to us separately, for, yes. you know, phone interviews. And so we, you know, I, I had no idea what you said. And there's a quote in here uh, where you describe us as a, <laughs> as Laurel and Hardy. I, I'm just intrigued by that. I had never, you know, some of our listeners may not even know. I actually said something to the people in my office. I said, this says we're like Laurel and Hardy. And uh, they looked at me uh, with just these blank faces, like, who's Laurel and Hardy? Oh, oh, that hurts. That um, hurts. But you should show a link or you should put a link or some, you know, video or something like that uh, in the show notes. People have Google. Just so people uh, can know. Laurel and Hardy. And are, who they're, am they're I? They're one of the and greatest. Which, they're one of the, that's, that's, don't worry about that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Laurel yeah. and Hardy are one of the greatest duos in, in cinematic history. They're, they're pretty great. I still am trying to figure out which one I am, uh, uh -huh. but maybe we'll just leave that for another day. I, I, in my defense, I also said a couple of other, you know, Abbott Costello, Martin and Lewis, and he went with Laurel and Hardy, which is fine. I'm a huge fan. If, if I had to pick between the three, I'd probably pick them. Right. And which one am I in the others? Yeah. I'm, anyway. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> I'm just having fun, but this is a good, this, this is a fun article. And one thing that was nice, the timing was good because you were in North Carolina. Now we're doing yeah. this, we're, we're doing this in the way we normally do, which is just via Skype. Um, but you were here in North Carolina. We did the interview with Dr. Aiken. We did it in a studio that we have on the campus. And, and so it was nice because they asked for a picture. So we got to get a real, very professional looking picture 
Um, yeah, Maria a, did a great job with that. As opposed to if any other week, it would be a screenshot of uh, Skype, which would not yeah. be that exciting. Uh, so worked out perfectly. So it looks really good, uh, but it every other week is not really like that. Yep, and there, our little uh, stickers even made it into the yeah. into the shot. Yes. So you have you have a sticker now. I have a sticker, and we gave stickers out this week at Southeastern. So yeah. we'll be giving those out at at the SBC. Um, yes. Speaking of which, Amy, we will have a special episode next week that we're going to drop early in the week, Monday or Tuesday. Not quite sure on the date yet. We got to get it recorded, uh, but a big SBC preview issue. So we're gonna we're gonna actually have two shows next week. We'll have episode 101, which will be SBC 101. Uh-huh. Nice. Well done. For the annual meeting. Yes. So we'll, we'll release that early next week, and then we'll have our regular news updates because I'm sure there'll be all kinds of stuff uh, yeah. going on. But but we've got we've got a lot to talk about next week in the SBC. Uh, we've got nominations committees that are that are dropping. Uh, I think the day that this releases on April the 28th, uh, the nomination committee report will drop. We've got the entire schedule is now out. Yes. All the ancillary events and all that. So we're going to cover all that. Uh, look for that on May the 1st, May the 2nd. It'll be in your uh, iTunes or wherever. We'll And, you know, follow us online and everything. We'll talk about it. But we're going to have a huge, you know, probably hour-long SBC preview. And we'll put that at the top of the uh, website so people can see all that, hear that. And we'll have a, a special SBC This Week preview page that we'll put on the website, too. So yes. got a lot going on for the annual meeting this year. So, again, thanks to everyone over at Baptist Press for the story. We really appreciate that. And uh, we appreciate everybody listening and making it and helping us make it to this 100th episode. Absolutely. All right. So now we're going to move into the interview with Dr. Aiken, which was sort of the the highlight of the week. And uh, this was a great honor, a great opportunity for us to get to sit down and talk to him, hear some of his stories. So uh, without further ado, here is uh, Danny Aiken. This week on SBC This Week, we're celebrating our 100th episode. And to celebrate the occasion, we have the one and only Danny Aiken joining us here live. We have a studio this week, Amy. We went like top Oh, notch. this was big. This was big. But it. Would, but you're here on campus. Yep. We actually had somewhere we could record. So and actually, really if you well. Google it, there is more than one Danny Aiken. But just bring that really? to your attention. You go Google it and see. I did not know that. But there's only one in our hearts. That's right. Well, now that may be true. Yes. I, only I, one I, I don't have us. a real response to that one. Yes. Now, Dr. Aiken, you have worked at several institutions over your career. You, you were at Criswell, you were here at Southeastern, you went to Southern, was provost there, came back here, now president at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary here in Wake Forest. But talk to us just a little about, you know, kind of your testimony, your call to ministry, and kind of what got you on this path in the SBC. Well, I came to Christ when I was a 10-year-old boy. Uh, unfortunately, like a lot of teenagers, I didn't walk with the Lord during those particular years. Nobody when I was in high school knew that I was a Christian. Uh, but uh, God is very faithful. You know, the Bible says he disciplines those that he loves and those who belong to him. He'll get their attention in any way that he finds necessary. And so he did when I was about 19 years old. Um, very painful accident that I went through, but I'm grateful for it because about nine months later on a mission trip on the uh, uh, an Indian reservation in Sales, Arizona, uh, the Lord called me into the ministry, and I've often said to people, though I've never doubted, uh, though I have doubted on some occasions, it's been a long time, my salvation, I had never doubted my call to ministry. And so I did like a lot of people. I went to my pastor, said, what do I do? 
He says, well, you can go to college and then go to seminary. And I said, okay, that sounds great. What's a seminary? I had no <laughs> idea what a seminary was. But then he said, if you'd like, you can get started now. And there's a small Bible college in Dallas, Texas called Criswell College. I've been out there to their school, the prophets. I really like what's going on there. And if you want to get started, I'd suggest that. And I said, yes, sir. So I moved to Dallas, Texas from Atlanta, Georgia in 1977 and married my wife, Charlotte, a year later. We lived in Texas for 15 years, uh, Wake Forest for four, Louisville for eight. And now we've been back at Southeastern and Wake Forest for the last 14. Okay, well, that actually leads really well into next question. So you, in all of this that you're telling, you had kind of a front row seat to SBC history over the last few decades. I started Bible College in 1977, just two years before Adrian Rogers was elected at the Houston Convention as yes. president. So you, you saw everything from a lot of different perspectives, including being at two seminaries, mm -hmm. Southeastern and Southern, during times of massive change. Yes. So what... What was it like to experience all of that as you sit where you are now and you look back to experience all of that? And how did it impact who you are today? Well, it was very interesting and never dull. And uh, there were things about it that were positive and there were things about it that were uh, tragic and disappointing. Uh, both schools, uh, when I got there, had a number of faculty members that, without any apology, would identify themselves as theological liberals. They did not believe in the inerrancy of the Bible. They did not believe in penal substitution when it comes to the atonement. Uh, they did not believe in the exclusivity of the gospel. Uh, they were not uh, consistent in terms of what they thought about uh, moral issues like abortion, uh, homosexuality, and so on. Uh, some of them, uh, though very uh, much opposed to my theology, uh, were kind and gracious. Uh, others, uh, not so much. And uh, I had people that literally, uh, I can remember one day at Southern, uh, a professor seeing me come down the hall. He turned around and walked back the other way and tried to cut across outdoors from Norton Hall from one faculty wing to the other. But I wouldn't let him get away with that. So I backtracked, sprinted through the uh, doors and said, hey, how are you doing? Just wanted to see how life's going with you. You'd have thought that he had seen a ghost or a demon. He probably certainly thought the latter. But um, you know what? I just believed that we should act like Jesus with everybody. And so my goal at both institutions was to love all the faculty members that were there, to encourage them, to pray for them, to assist them. Some of them wanted to be assisted getting out of there as fast as possible. And I was happy to help them in that regard. Others had a more difficult time, and I tried to work with them, uh, helping them understand uh, how to wisely navigate the changing terrain. You know, they signed on under a different administration and under uh, different rules. And so I realized that things had been changed on them. All right, uh, we're all here together. Let's try to work through this in a way that honors Christ and uh, does the least uh, amount of damage. Let me ask a follow-up question on that then. Um, and, and and I've talked about this some on our show, so some of the listeners will be familiar. But if if they're not, um, I worked for you. I've worked for you at two institutions. Mm -hmm. So I worked for you at Southern um, from 2000 until about 2004. Right. And one thing I remember seeing there was at that time, most of the faculty was, was on board with the direction. But right. you still had, there was still a spectrum. 
one thing I noticed was that it really didn't matter the position of the faculty member or even what they had sort of been through in their time there. All of them seemed to have tremendous respect for you. So how did that um, play out? Because I know you just said you spent time with people. You had very open conversations. Are, are there any examples of sort of times that even even in the tough ones when you didn't agree that you just you had those kind of open, transparent interactions. Well, I made a, thank you, Amy, you're kind of say that. I made an appointment to meet with every faculty member. And uh, when I met with them, I, I, I would begin by saying, just tell me who you are, tell me about your family, your marriage, and so on. Uh, at the end of that time, I would pray with them. But there were a number of times where I had a conversation like this. Look, let's just be honest. If you were in charge, I wouldn't be here. And if I we're in charge from the beginning, you wouldn't be here, but we're both here. Now, what we then need to do is figure out how to navigate this in the best way for everybody. And I'm committed to praying for you. I'm committed to serving you. I will stand behind you as long as I can. I just would ask you, and I would say to them, you're not stupid. You're a smart person. Don't put me in a position where I can't defend you. And let's find out an exit plan that fits well uh, for you and for the institution. And look, we're not talking about next month. We're not even necessarily talking about next year. But let's look at what we want to accomplish that will put you in a place where you'll be happy and content. And I found that most of them received that very, very well. Now, there were some, you know, that were persnickety and uh, were unhappy all the way through. Uh, I can remember one professor making sure everything was signed off with lawyers. I mean, dotting every I, crossing every T. The next person that came along, I said, well, I guess you'd like for us to get lawyers involved. And he said, no. He said, you've been a man of your word ever since I got here. I trust you. And I said, well, I appreciate that. And I promise you everything we've promised that we will do, we will do. And, and we did. We always kept our word with everyone. And so... You know, there were some bumps along the way, but overall, I feel like the time there, God allowed us to transition uh, in the in the best way we probably could have. Now, let's fast forward a little bit, maybe a decade later from that, the GCR. Uh, the last few years, there's been a lot of discussion about that in the Southern Baptist Convention. So uh, the big question is, why then, why now? Well, I think uh, we saw a number of us at that particular moment in time, uh, some real um, challenges for Southern Baptists, both in terms of our growth, which has uh, stagnated and even is still in decline. Yeah. So we haven't fixed things yet, although, to be honest with you, Jonathan, I don't think we're the ones that will fix things. And that's God's business. Our responsibility is to be faithful in preaching the gospel, faithful in uh, teaching his word, faithful in planning churches and doing the work of evangelism and international missions, and then letting God bring the harvest. We can't manufacture those things. And um, if you study church history, you'll know that there are times uh, historically where the body of Christ uh, uh, experienced loss and uh Things seemed to be going through a very difficult time. It even seemed like the whole world had become uh, hardened uh, and jaundiced to the gospel. And then, amazingly, God breaks out with revival. And I would remind uh, those that are listening, uh, we see great revival taking place in many parts of the world today, in Africa, South America, China. Now, 
we're seeing a lot of people come to Christ, but we know that uh, converts are not disciples. And yeah. all of those areas are screaming for us to come alongside of them and assist them in uh, discipleship. So I think we've got to make sure that we do not lose uh, sight of that. But I became aware, and, and I, I've been um, repeatedly um, criticized for this infamous statement, probably somebody's going to try to stick it on my tombstone. Uh, he was against bloated bureaucracies. Uh, many people misunderstood. That's not a bad thing to have on your tombstone. Um, <laughs> well, it's not what I would prefer, but you know what? Uh, <laughs> well, it, it, mean, it, you don't really have much of a voice on what goes on your tombstone after you're gone. But being, that's true. It's better than being for bloated bureaucracies, that's true. right? <laughs> and, and, you know, I don't believe there's anybody that's for them, but uh, we're not always in agreement on how we identify them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's actually nice to be able to clarify. A lot of people said, well, then you were taking shots at particular entities. Uh, in, in particular, people have said I was taking shots at state conventions. I was not. My primary frustration uh, that led me to make that statement was my frustration with the North American Mission Board and church planting. And the fact that a church planter in that particular day had to get the approval of a local association, had to get the approval of a state convention, had to get the approval of NAM, and any one of the three could block and negate that person receiving financial assistance for church planning. Furthermore, they had to fill out three different questionnaires, go through three different interviews, and just be honest with you, yeah, I think that's bloated. And I think that's bureaucratic. Wow. And so my concern was not with what was happening necessarily in any one entity, though, honestly, we've since realized that all of us probably could, and I include ourselves yeah, here. We all share in the, the issues. At Listen, times. we don't tend toward less bureaucracy. It's, it's indigenous to the sinful human uh, nature that we increase bureaucracy. Look at the federal government of the United States of America. Look at your state government. And so we realized that there were some things that could be done that could streamline uh, our structure, get more finances going to international missions, North American missions. There was a way that we could streamline what we were doing to get people out there doing church planting more rapidly and more quickly. And again, I want to be very clear here. None of this would have happened had Johnny Hunt not been elected president of the Southern Baptist Convention. And amazingly, he wasn't even going to run for president of the convention that year until May, and he all right, came. talk us through that. I didn't, I didn't know that. Well, and he ran so, against a bunch of. It was like it, six yeah, it, people in yeah. that. Oh yeah, election. Ted Trailer I think was involved in that. And Ted nominated him. Oh okay, yeah. No, yeah, he ran. And, a, he ran against another friend of mine, Frank Cox, who's yeah. a pastor and at, somebody uh, in from Atlanta. the Midwest, maybe. Yeah, yeah, um, in California as well. There yeah. were there were a lot well, of. people. Well, what happened was, in fact, in God's providence, Johnny came to preach here in chapel uh, in April. He came to do our board of trustees and board of visitors chapel, and when we also commissioned uh, our mission students, just had that last week. Yeah, here at South. So Eastern. same time of year, two thousand and Matt Carter eight, two thousand right nine, I believe it was eight eight or nine. And um, he says, I want to talk to you. Came over to my house late on Monday night before the next day of chapel. And he said, I've had some of the brothers really, really encourage me to throw my hat in the ring for President SBC. And, and, and Danny, up until now, it's not been on my radar screen. It's not been something I wanted, not something that I desired. But I've begun to sense something in my soul that maybe God is, is in this. And I just want your prayers, want your counsel. I said to him, listen, uh, I think the time is right for someone like you to be present at SBC, and that's no 
uh, ill will or, or negative talk toward any of the other potential candidates. But I just said, I think your heart, your passion, the status and standing that you have in the SBC, uh, this is the right time. And so he did throw his hat into the ring late and he won on, yeah. a, on a first ballot. Well, then about uh, six months later, he invited me to come to Atlanta. I still remember he and I going out walking, just talking about the SBC, where it was, where it needed to go, what are some issues. And at that time, we just agreed to pray. And then later, the Lord put on my heart the possibility of bringing a message in chapel, uh, which I did, uh, Axioms of a Great Commission Resurgent, which I sought the input of Johnny Hunt, of Tom Rayner, yep. of James Merritt, uh, people, Al Moeller, people I love and respect. I preached the message. Johnny then said, let me kind of take it and launch a website to see if there's momentum for this. Long story short, he then um, appoints uh, Al Moeller, makes the recommendation that the president be allowed to appoint a committee uh, that would study the structures of the SBC to see how we could improve what we're doing for the Great Commission and out of that came the Great Commission Resurgence. You know, I personally think it is on target and accomplishing what we wanted to. Uh, I read from time to time when people are critical and saying, well, uh, we're not seeing results yet. My response would be, one, uh, we didn't get where we were in just <laughs> right. a few years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can go back. Uh, Ed Stetzer, for example, has documented, I think, pretty clearly that Southern Baptist, in terms of its relationship to the population, has been in decline since the 1950s. And yeah. so even though we were growing very slowly in the 60s and 70s and 80s, we were losing ground when it came to population growth. Now we have seen a slight decline annually over the last several years. Tom Rayner, again, has said, had it not been for the GCR, we probably would have seen a rapid decline now, that is no excuse. No. Uh, Southern Baptists need to get their act together. But the fact of the matter is, God's the one that brings the increase. What we need to do is make sure we're faithful and make sure we're proclaiming the gospel and make sure we're teaching the word of God and making disciples and then trust that God will honor our obedience to his word. And, and if you go back and look at all the recommendations, I mean, you can start to see one thing at a time where those things are being done. Yes. And then you can start to see some individual impact of those, you know, decisions or those moves. Um, and it is going to take time. It's well, going to take a trickle down because a lot of different recommendations in different agencies. So you have to make the shifts in each. Yeah. Each Let me place. give one anecdotal evidence. This last weekend I was in Phoenix, uh, Arizona doing a conference on marriage. And after the conference on Saturday, I met with eight church planters that all eight of them, have very vibrant, vital uh, churches that are growing and reaching people with the gospel. Fact matter is, we went for many years in places like Phoenix, I'm not saying Phoenix specifically, but places like Phoenix, where we didn't plant more than two or three or four churches. Wow. And these all have been planted in very recent days mm -hmm. with the goal, all of these churches, of planting more churches. Yeah. And we've we've had Whitney Clayton on the show, um, who's son of Ashley Clayton, works at executive committee. Uh, Whitney, Whitney was in was that meeting. Probably there, yeah. So. so I'm very excited about what I see beginning to happen in these mega metropolitan areas. And bottom line, it is the uh, missiological strategy of the Apostle Paul who didn't go, and, and this is not to negate the importance of smaller 
urban areas or rural areas. But Paul understood that if I can win people to Christ in the megacities, they of themselves will begin to evangelize the smaller areas around them. And so I'm very thankful of Kevin Ezell's focus on the megacities in North America. Very appreciative of David Platt's emphasis upon reaching the megacities around the world, because if we can reach them, we'll reach the rural areas. But you can reach rural areas and never even make a dent on the urban centers. So we're just following Paul's method of doing missions, which I think uh, is not only descriptive in the book of Acts, I think is intended to be prescriptive as well. So um, as I mentioned before, we've known each other a long time. Mm-hmm. I'm going to betray my age a little bit, but it's about 17 and a half years. You're, how long you've known him, not your age, right? That's not my age. <laughs> it's how long I've known him, yes. which is how long I've been an adult. So um, actually a little longer than that. I think you've been longer, adult longer than that, but, we, Thanks, won't press, but that. we won't press the point. No, please don't. Anyway, back to you. Your heart for missions is something that I would say in the time I've seen you has really grown and just increases year after year. Since I've known you, I mean, preaching was always something I would hear about marriage and family, but it's not that you didn't care about missions and love missions before, but there's something in you now that's just this kind of heart that's bursting. And I I know that was a real shift in your life or in your focus around 10 years ago, something like that. You've talked about some of your experience with students here and what you've seen in your travels around the world. Tell us a little bit about that and how that had an impact on you. Again, not that you weren't before, No, but but there's something very significant. I think that's very accurate. When I was at Southern, we had a school committed to missions, evangelism, and church growth under the very able leadership of Tom Rayner and then also later Chuck Lawless. And so they kind of watched over that area, and it wasn't something that I, of necessity— Yeah, your focus was elsewhere at yes, the time. Yeah, and to be honest with you, my focus at Southern was to rebuild the theological the, the, the School of Theology's faculty. That's what I desperately needed to do along with Al, Dr. Moeller, when I got there. I came back here, and Southeastern already had in place a very vibrant 2 plus 2 program, two years on the campus, two years on the mission field, get your MDiv, eligible to be appointed as a career missionary with the IMB. And uh, there had been a pattern in the past of certain folks from the seminary going out to visit the 2 plus 2 students, especially when they came together for their modular classes. And so when we got here, I can still remember going to Applebee's and meeting uh, now uh, Jesse and Shaney Snodgrass, uh, who are leaders with the IMB in India. They were not yet married, but they were working there as a waiter and waitress. And I said, so what are you going to do when you graduate? And they said, well, we're going to the mission field. And I just said off the cuff, well, you know what? I'm going to come see you. And they said, well, that'd be great. And kind of laughed. And I, I thought later, you know what? They think I just said that. They don't, they don't think I meant that. Not that they are, were calling me a liar, but they probably heard that before. Yeah. So we decided early that Charlotte and I would every year in December, I mean, January, when our uh, two plus two modular classes would come together, we would block off a week, two weeks and go overseas and see them. Well, we did. And we began to hear their stories and see what they were doing and uh, experience uh, up close and personal the work of the Lord in these hard places. Then maybe two years into our time here, we went to six countries in 14 days with another couple going to Tibet, uh, India, Bangladesh, uh, Myanmar, uh, Thailand, uh, these different places to see what God was doing. And then a couple of years after that, we had the joy of going to Sudan and really seeing the Lord work among people that have nothing. 
and just put all that together and it just became more and more a passion for me and then one day it just really hit me last words are meant to be lasting words and of all the things that jesus could have talked about before he went back to heaven what he talked about was the great commission and he said go and make disciples of all the nations and i'll be with you till the end of the age and i thought if that was what was on the heart of our lord before he went back to heaven then that probably ought to have a priority with us as well furthermore I became convinced that doing theological education under the umbrella of the Great Commission will help you do theological education better. If you're always thinking, how am I teaching my class in such a way as to further the reaching of the nations with the gospel, you'll teach that class better. Furthermore, you'll have a curriculum that feeds that vision. And so as a result of that, it's kind of coalesced, uh, Amy, over these now almost 14 years here so that anybody that walks on this campus knows Southeastern Seminary is a Great Commission seminary. Uh, our theme around here is go. Uh, go where God has called you to go. Go and do what God has told you to do. And we don't believe everybody is called to go to the nations overseas, but we do believe everybody is called to go and be a Great Commission Christian. All right. One thing that's also become kind of apparent over the past few years is the increase and uh, and actually the intentionality of a diverse student body here at Southeast yeah, Kingdom Diversity. Yeah, the Kingdom Diversity Initiative. Walter Strickland's leading that, and we've had uh, you've got a program Hispanic leadership. You've got a, a now Persian program. You're so, not going to try to say Miguel's last name. Uh, no, Echevarria. Echevarria. Yeah, and that yeah. She, hey, she's you the roll one that, your tongue really well. She's the one that just can't say that name. So Echevarria. That's pretty good. She's I said there. it. Yeah. Yep. I make her say it on the podcast all In fact, the time. I just came from a luncheon where we were honoring and talking about our Hispanic ministry with uh, about almost 30 Hispanics from North Carolina Very on cool. our campus. And, and yeah. I'm, I met Cambiz this morning. Yes. And there's the, uh, our, our Iranian, our, uh, our Farsi initiative. Yes. Yeah. So uh, got a lot going on here, Diverse. We even talked about it last week. Minority enrollment's up over the past five years from 10% to 16%. You've doubled the number of African-American, African-American students, tripled the number of Hispanic students. So just talk a little bit about the emphasis there and how that have you seen that impact the the, uh, seminary as a whole? Well, again, in time, it grew out of our focus on the Great Commission, because if you're going to make disciples of all the nations, then you're also going to have churches and a theological institution that is focusing on all the nations. And again, kind of a theme, uh, Jonathan, that we've come up with around here is we want to be a servant to the churches that will enable them to build churches on earth that look like the church in heaven. Well, the church in heaven is very clearly made up of people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And therefore, if we're going to be true to that vision of the church and true to the Great Commission, then that means we're intentionally, and I have to say to you, the key word in all of this is intentionality. It is one thing to say to ethnic minorities, hey, y'all, Y'all are welcome. Come on. It's another thing to actually go out and actively recruit them and seek them out. It's another thing to begin to put persons of ethnic minority status in positions of responsibility and leadership. Uh, it's another thing to put your money where your mouth is. Mm. And so I was greatly blessed on my 10th anniversary here that uh, the trustees led the seminary to create a ethnic diversity scholarship in my name. And it began with over $400,000 
put into that so that and the only people that are eligible for that scholarship money is ethnic minorities. And so uh, and in many cases, um, um, ethnic minorities come from the lower status of things in terms of socioeconomic privilege. And so they need help. Uh, they're not begging for it. They're not wanting to be put on welfare. They just simply need help to get started. And so we want to do that. And we're seeing God do some remarkable things. And I'd also add this. When you look at America, the fastest growing demographic groups are Hispanics and Asians. So in that context, we're also right now in uh, the process of creating an Asian initiative that will focus not just on Koreans, which there are a lot of Korean Americans, yeah. and a lot of Koreans come uh, uh, from that country yeah, here to study. We've seen several Southern Baptist seminaries with Korean initiatives oh, yeah, as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. A much larger demographic group is Chinese, mm. 1.2 billion Chinese and the gospel is spreading very, very rapidly there. So under the very incredible leadership of John Ewart, we're now looking at how we can, with our global theological initiative, begin to intentionally go after that particular ethnic group and that to being Chinese and then other Asians. So again, um, the white population in America is getting smaller, certainly percentage wise. Yes. If you were to come to me and I were not even a Christian and you were say, hey, your job is to help Southern Baptists figure out how to continue to grow in the 21st century. That's easy. You better begin to go after the teeming millions of ethnic minorities that are increasing while your white population is shrinking. Because if you don't, then you are destined to die. Yeah. And you deserve to die if you're not willing to go after people that look differently than you, but happen to be your brothers and sisters in Christ. And I, and I also want to say, too, as part of the Kingdom Diversity Initiative, there's been great encouragement for um, women uh, yes. to study at, at all levels, multiple disciplines. I'm benefiting from that right now as I finish up um, a degree that I started years ago. And How long uh, ago did you start it? 17 years ago. <laughs> Well, we give her an A for persistence. Yes. Can you um, tell us, we just have a couple more questions. Who are some of your Southern Baptist heroes? No one has impacted my life more than Adrian Rogers. Really? The question on that one, I mean, I get the leadership, but, you know, he's a Memphis pastor before the Internet. So kind of draw the lines there, the connection. Godliest pastor I've ever met in my life. Just he was uh, privately what he was publicly. And uh, I'll tell you a sweet story that'll make the point. So he's here in chapel uh, six months before he dies and uh, came in to pinch hit because I had someone cancel on me at the last moment. We had a big, big uh, gathering that day, and I called him. And actually, I was in Memphis, God's province. I saw him, said, can you come in? He, he graciously agreed. So anyway, at the end of chapel, I said, Dr. Rogers, we're not going to go to the back and shake hands. We're not even going to go down on the bottom floor because we'll be here forever. You step on the platform. Stay up here, up top. People that want to shake your hand will come up here, and then as soon as they're through, uh, I'll take you and Miss Joyce to lunch. Yeah, we'll go and, to Shuckers. Well, then it was uh, there was no Shuckers. Oh. We had to go to O'Charlie's. Oh, okay. But O'Charlie's was pretty good back then, too. I hate the fact that it went out of business. That's a whole other issue. So anyway, <laughs> 45 minutes later, there's still a line of 25 people. I'm talking about, you're talking about socially unaware and so I went over to Miss Joyce and I said, uh, Joyce, would you mind going get Dr. Rogers? And she said, I'm not going to go get him. If you want him, you go get him. 
Now, I should have picked up on what she was saying, but I didn't. I was a little dense that day. <laughs> so I walked over and took Dr. Rogers by the arm, and I said, Dr. Rogers. And he looked at me, and this is a quote. He said, uh, little Danny, when I'm ready to go, I'll let you know. And in my most strong, masculine voice, I said, okay. <laughs> and I went back over and put my dunce hat on, checked my suspenders, and got my make sure my little bobby socks were good. And I sat down, and I just sat there totally humiliated. Well, about 20 minutes later, the very last person in line was a five-foot-tall, 80-year-old grandmother. And she walked up to Dr. Rogers. Actually, he came down off the platform to greet her. And she said to him, I've heard you preach for many, many years. I never thought I'd get to meet you. And I just want to touch your cheek. And she put her hand up on his cheek. Well, when she did, he put his hand over her cheek. He bent over and kissed her on the forehead and hugged her neck. She turned around and walked away. And he said, now we can go. And just the fact that he would treat everybody, and I never saw any exception to this, Jonathan, Amy, he always treated every person with the utmost respect and kindness. And so not only as a preacher, as a leader, but just as a Christian man, I just learned so much about him. And so I, I want to I wanna grow old and pass into the sunset like Adrian Rogers, like Jimmy Draper, like Jim Henry, like Tom Elleth. I want to grow old and be like those men. And those are heroes to me. All right. So I'm going to follow that up with a question and ask you, who are the sort of, who are some unsung heroes, the Southern Baptists that we don't know, who are two or three that you would say quietly just making making an impact where they where they are that we should know because there are tons of Southern Baptists out there in the pews that we should honor. Who are one or two that come to your mind? Al Jackson, who pastors mm -hmm. Lakeview Baptist Church in Auburn. Now, those in ministry know about him, yeah. right. but the vast majority of Southern Baptists don't. But uh, he is another hero to me. Godly, godly, godly man, godly wife, Miss Kim. He has mentored hundreds and hundreds of pastors and missionaries and just does so quietly, consistently, doesn't want any attention, no fanfare. Uh, I, my admiration for that man is just massive. And he's been at Lakeview for almost all of his life. Yeah. Just forever. I mean, just and poured ever. his life into poured that one church into that and one the church and the people love him and would follow him uh, anywhere. I have a friend in Tifton, Georgia named Fred Evers. Fred and I went to Bible college together, and then he went on later and did a, a MDiv and a D-Min at New Orleans Seminary. No, it's Southern Seminary, the, the D-Min. He pastors in Tifton, just been a faithful pastor there now, or I guess going close to 20 years. He sends preacher boys uh, and preacher girls, although not pastors, out everywhere to our seminaries. He has an equipped program down there where he's pouring his life into young men. Uh, he doesn't make a big deal out of it, just faithfully teaches the word, faithfully models what it means to walk with Jesus. And I just have great love and respect uh, for that man. And again, he's kind of an unsung hero. Nobody really pays a whole lot of attention to what he does, but God does. God does. And so those two men uh, in particular uh, stand out to me. Um, a pastor named Homer Walkup, 
There's a little church, runs a couple of hundred in Dallas, just the north of Dallas in Lake Dallas, just on the other side of the lake there where Louisville is. Uh, he invited me to do his midwinter Bible study 27 years ago. I have done their midwinter Bible study for 27 years in a row. Wow. He has all those years just faithfully loved that church, pastored that church. Uh, I was with him when he said goodbye to his precious wife who died several years ago uh, after going through a sustained illness where he took care of her like uh, as her um, nurse for years. And um, he's just a faithful, godly pastor who's just loved his people well all these years. Nobody knows very much who Homer Walkup is, although interestingly, he followed in that church some guy named Steve Gaines who happens to be yeah, the president of our SBC. Yeah. Well, Steve, when he was a student at Southwestern Seminary, pastored Lake wow. Shore Baptist Church in Lake Dallas. That is amazing. And Homer followed him and has been there all these years, almost 30 years now. The, the more I find out about the SBC, the smaller that world gets. It is. Yes. Because, I, I mean, it's... All sorts of connections. Yes. And there's just all sorts of people, as you've raised the question, that are just, when we get to heaven, I'm very convinced they're going to be very, very close to the throne. Some of us who got a lot of attention and fanfare, we'll we'll see them, but we'll need binoculars. <laughs> be in the burbs, because the we'll be there. we'll yeah. be in the upper deck, yeah. looking on. Um, so for the better part of forty years, you've had a front row seat to the SBC. You've seen the highs and the lows of the denomination, the future of the Southern Baptist Convention. What gets you excited about that? Three things: theological education, international missions, and North American church planning. And I've said repeatedly, and I'm convinced today, Jonathan, more than ever, that if you want to say or ask or answer what unites Southern Baptists, those three things unite us. And I don't think you can draw the circle any bigger. If you say, well, we need to be united around worship styles, then we're DOA. You need to unite around the literature that we use. You know, that would make Tom Rayner happy. Make me very happy. Make you happy. But <laughs> very. That, but I, that, I'm, I, don't, I think that should be the fourth. But but that day's gone, and, it, <laughs> and it's not coming back. Thanks, Dr. Uh, the way that we do church in terms of uh, our, our music, the way we do church in terms of whether we have Baptists in the name, the way we do church in all sorts of ways. If you try to say there needs to be almost a, a Baptist style and uh, structure uh, in how all the churches function and operate, then that's that day's gone. Yeah, but we can agree on a very healthy evangelical Baptistic confession of faith, the BFNM two thousand. We can unite around international missions, and we can unite around aggressive North American church planting. So, if those three things, and when I see what's happening in those three areas, I get very excited. Because God's doing remarkable things, even though the IMB's gone through a time of upheaval and adjustment, which was absolutely necessary given yeah, the, financials. the financials. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm excited about the future under the leadership of David Platt. I'm excited about the future of the North American Mission Board under the leadership of Kevin Zell. I believe in what our seminaries are doing. So those are the reasons that I stay excited and stay connected. In spite of all of our shortcomings and phobials, we do those things pretty well. And um, I'm happy to throw my lot with it and to do so for the foreseeable future. Well, thank you very much for being here for our 100th episode. I'm very honored. Dr. Aiken, this was uh, fun for us. And uh, I would say from the beginning, I have looked forward to the day that we could interview you. So we really appreciate you being here. Thanks. 
Amy, thanks again for making that interview happen. I appreciate you getting and coordinating that with Dr. Aiken in his office. Appreciate him taking the time as well. It's always fun to be with Dr. Aiken. Had a chance to eat lunch with him this week and hang out a few, a uh, little bit with him. So it was a busy week in Southern Baptist life. So we, we had a lot to talk about this week. And I appreciate him also, you know, just taking the time and, and spending, you know, 30, 45 minutes with us uh, on Tuesday recording the interview. Oh, yeah. It was, it was a great, great opportunity. Just to kind of hit on a few special things as we're doing the, the uh, 100th episode, you know, we've had this sort of weekly conversation. We've talked about this stuff a hundred times now. Um, we talk about the SBC all the time. He talked a lot about some special memories for him or, you know, things that kind of stuck out to him through the years uh, in some specific areas. So I wanted to ask you, what uh, what are some of your favorite SBC moments uh, in your experiences? You and I have not had all the experiences that he has had. But what would you say have been some highlights for you? I think my first SBC annual meeting was kind of the highlight for me just to be able to experience it. I'd watched it on on screens, you know, at when I was at WMU, we'd watch it, you know, in a conference room or something, stream it online. And I watched the, the GCR vote and watched it on Twitter and right. was watching it online, trying to figure out what was going on in 2010. And then 2011, that was my first SBC annual meeting. And I, I'm kind of looking forward to going back to that. Yeah. After, you know, that, you know, this, this year, uh, I'm not looking forward to the, the heat because it was hot then and I'm Ooh. sure it's going to be hot now. It was rough. But that was just, that was kind of neat just to be there and, and kind of to see these people that I've heard about. And I'm standing there and Rick Warren walks by and gives me a hug, which was kind of strange. But then I learned that that's kind of just that's who Rick what Warren he does. Is. Yeah. That's what and, he does. And, and, and I'm standing there and Mark Dever walks by and I met Mark and he's taller in person than you think he'll be. Yeah. Uh, I just remember like seeing these people that I'd seen online all the time. And, you know, meeting him for the first time and meeting Trevin Wax and hanging out with him and just just the fun, you know, the, the camaraderie, I think that right. and now, you know, I, I don't want to take it for granted. But, you know, that that first time was kind of fun because you're meeting all these people that you've seen online and talked to and and seen and in and, and read. And there they are. And you're, you're having dinner with Tony Marita and Ed Stetzer and and different things like that. And, and meeting Amy Whitfield in the Lifeway Research booth. Yes. Um, yes. Little did we know. Five years later, I know, here look we where be. we are now. How about that? I know. So, but that, um, that's that's kind of my SBC memory, I guess. Just that that first year in Phoenix, that was just I was kind of in awe, but at the same time, it was just fun. And yeah, that's I'm, you know, it, it's funny how you would would think you know that your first time to go is really special. So my my first SBC was 2006 in Greensboro, which is mm-hmm. really big year in oh, recent yeah. SBC history. Boy, the year Frank Page won. We're gonna go. Oof. Um, I would. I would not look back on that year as this great sort of special. There was certainly some things to to witness that were meaningful, but um, that trip for me, so it was in the Coliseum, which is a really different experience than the convention center. Cause you think about the convention centers, you walk into the meeting, you can kind of walk around, but in the Coliseum, you're in Coliseum seats, you know, you're coming yeah. out just like you're going to a basketball game or something. So I'd never a been, lot different feel, I'm guessing. Yes. So I'd never been to an annual meeting before. I had never even seen one. I'd never streamed it. And I'm a pastor's wife at the time. We'd driven over from Virginia. I had a um, two-year-old and a not quite one-year-old. Did you have them in matching outfits? I did not have them in matching outfits, but 
you know, for those of you out there who uh, have never been or have never taken your kids, in most situations, they have this amazing stroller section. It's it's incredible, really great because you can take the, you can stroll the kids over and then they can just, you know, throw a blanket down. They can hang out, you know, on the floor or whatever. You can yeah. sit back there. Well, it wasn't so easy in Greensboro. So, uh, first of all, I kept having to kind of tote both of them, you know, Keith and I, into these seats. Then I saw the stroller section down on the floor. So, I mean, we're just, I got diaper bags. I got everything in these seats. I said, we've got to get to that stroller section. So, we start walking and following the signs to the stroller section, not realizing that the direction to get to the stroller section on the floor was the exact same direction that deposits you like backstage. So we got off the elevator with all of our stuff and there's all these people, these SBC, you know, big wigs, some of whom we knew from Southern and they all looked at us like, what are you doing here? And so then I looked at Keith and said, we're, we've gotten this far. We're getting to that stroller section. So we did. Um, I went down to the bookstore and was trying to, I didn't have a double stroller. So I was trying to go with two umbrella strollers and steer them at the same time. So 2006 was a year of awkwardness for me. Um, I did awkward so well at that SBC. It's not even funny. <laughs> um, but And now you're backstage and, and you're one of the celebrities. And still awkward. In many yeah. ways. Ten years later. Ten years later, you're just but, it, you just have the celebrity. The awkwardness is still there, right? But I just own it. Um, but anyway, so I, I remember that. But what's interesting is I also remember, I mean, that's the first time I saw it. I hadn't streamed it. I hadn't done anything. So I saw the process. Um, and I loved it. I, I, I really, really did. And uh, after that, I think I missed maybe two. I, I missed Indianapolis in 2008 and I missed Orlando in 2010. Um, but that it, there was something kind of special about seeing it for the first time. And that was a big year, you know, when, when Frank Page won. So, all right. So that was a special thing for you. Do you have any particular like one SBC moment that sticks out for you or a favorite SBC moment um, or funny, just anything. Cause I've got one. Why don't you go first and then I'll, okay. I'll figure out mine while you're thinking, so, since you already have yours. Yeah. Go ahead. So my, my favorite SBC moment, and we've been talking about motions. Um, my favorite SBC moment was in, uh, Columbus two years ago when, uh, Wiley Drake got up to the microphone and made the motion that the convention should ask, should ask Ronnie Floyd to run for president of the United States. <laughs> That and was the, good. And the I reason, that. and the reason I loved it so much was because Ronnie Floyd had to ask, "Is there a second? And he got yes. so tickled, and it was, it, it was so funny, and it was just endearing, and I just loved it. Um, and every everyone had a good time. So that's that's one of my favorite moments. Um, I also loved every time Johnny Hunt would have to say, uh, "Your point is not well taken" to someone because you could tell he hated doing it. Just hated it because he was so. He nice. felt terrible doing that. Yes. He felt so badly doing that. And he that. would smile as he was saying it, and you almost felt like if you were the one at the microphone, you you almost felt like they should thank him because you know for for telling them because you could just tell it just killed him uh, to to have to say it. Um, that's probably I mean probably not everyone. Not not everyone's favorite moment was a parliamentary procedure moment, but mine was. All right, so I think one of the moments that kind of sticks out. I'm not going to make this my favorite moment. One of the moments that sticks out is, and I wasn't there for it, so that's probably why it's really not sticking out to me, but I was watching online. 
was the Fred Luter election. That was just incredible in New Orleans in 2012. Yeah. I uh, was not there for that one, though. That's the one I've missed since 2011. Okay. It was um, but, great but to be I, in I that think room. we everybody yeah, I think we'd all agree that was pretty spectacular. Great to be um, in the room. I, I think maybe the Shane and Shane moment uh with the IMB sending stuff, the first time they did that that joint sending celebration, Shane and Shane yeah. uh did the music for that. There was something about uh that year in Columbus that was just over the top. I, I don't know what it year. was. But that moment Whenever Shane and Shane were doing uh, the Psalm 23 song that they've got, and that just, for some reason, like all the musical stuff from the SBC just sticks in my head. I remember, I remember motions. I remember things like that. But like, I'm thinking about the, the choir from First Baptist Montgomery, the song they did, the Casting Crown song they did. Um, I think that was in Baltimore. That was spectacular. I was sitting mm-hmm. in the, uh, I was sitting in a hotel room waiting on a video edit with your guy from Southeastern. I uh, was doing the, the video edit for um a, like a voiceover thing you guys had. And I had the oh, audio yeah. and he was putting the video to it. And and I was in there with him watching it online. And I'm sitting there going, this is spectacular. I mean, it was and it was just a song from First Baptist Montgomery's like youth choir or something. It was amazing. Then there was this uh this moment with Charles Billingsley did Midnight Cry, I think for Fred Luter, uh, I think that same year and just just crushed it. I mean, Charles, my goodness, man. He just he just nailed it, and it just it was amazing. I remember the penny loafers. Um, I do too. I remember that. Uh, just leave it there. Um, and then, and then the Shane and Shane moment, and then the Gettys last year, whenever they came out and they led, and then Julio just did a phenomenal job uh, both years that he did it. So the music, for some reason, that just all those moments that gets the, to you. for some reason the music the music is really connected. And I'm really not in there a lot for the music, but the ones yeah. that I'm in there for it just seemed like they're spectacular. So I, I'm, a, I'm in and out, in and out, in and out. I, I had a moment where last year there was a song that someone I knew from childhood growing up, you know, just growing up in Nashville is now a songwriter. And there was a song that uh, that he wrote and um, we sang it. And that was a really just meaningful moment, kind of letting that sink in and all his voices, you know, raising up. Um very, very special. And last year was a really special year for me. Um, I, I, I just enjoyed. Oh, that should have been mine. Whenever they announced you as the assistant parliamentarian, and I, that should have been my, my. Special oh, that's moment. nice. But, Thanks. That was but my, I totally my mom's. That. That's my mom's <laughs> favorite right there. So. Yep, you and you're smacking your gum. Oh, so embarrassing. No gum this year. No. No gum, gum this year. Okay. No gum. She was horrified. I, I didn't even notice. I didn't even notice. But, of course, well, I was like 80 yards away. So. Well, I mean, no one, I mean, not everyone is there at that time. It was later when I was like, hey, let me show you this video where they, you know, did the introduction. Because I was trying to show her what I had done, um, just to explain it to her. And then uh, they bring us up there, and there I was chewing gum. Because I just had coffee. And so uh, she was... She, I basically got the, I taught you better than this kind of thing. So no gum this year. I didn't raise you that way. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it wasn't that, that wasn't the moment for me. The moment for me was just really just taking the process in, uh, from start to finish. So a lot of great, lot of great times. All right. Well, that, those are great stories. Uh, we could go on forever with those, but all right, but we got to get back to business, Amy. Yes. This week in SBC history, Amy, blow our minds. All right, so um, we're going to go to 1948, and actually, there's a, another story in this um, Baptist Press issue that I think we actually did before. And the Pullman yeah, railroad the Pullman, cars? 
Yes. Yeah, I remember this um, one. But I, uh, the story above it is very interesting to me. So we've talked back and forth, and we even have talked on Twitter recently about the uh, SBC tapes ministry and all of that. Yes. Um, so there's this really interesting story where Porter Routh, uh, who was the secretary of the SBC at the time, he's, he had decided or he said that a super abundance of wire recorders and other dictation recording machines pose a real problem for the coming meeting. So this is when the meeting was still in May. So people had asked, had written to him asking for help in getting space near the platform because they were bringing all their own recording devices. And, and remember, taking it back so the people back home could hear it. Right. Couldn't make it. And this was interesting to me. And, and I think this is instructive for us because a lot of times, um, you know, we may go often then we don't really go back and talk to our churches about what we've done. Um, Sometimes that can happen. So they said some wanted transcription of the speeches for their own files. Others planned to take the convention in sound back to their home churches so that all members can sense the spirit and inspiration of the mass meeting. I was really touched by that. Now, I mean, we live in a day where anybody can stream it now and take in what you were just describing. Um, but I, I thought that was a very uh, you, just a, a interesting point in the story that this was important to people to take these recording devices so they can share it with the folks back home. So uh, they were making special arrangements and uh, it said they will have to be made to prevent the many microphones of private recorders from hiding the speaker from the audience. So we're talking enough microphones um, and recorders that they were worried about it getting in front of whoever was speaking. Um, so he hmm. said, you gotta, gotta let us know in advance. Um, so I, I found that so interesting. And now, now we're, we moved from that to the, uh, the, the one that I saw the other day where probably using a reel to reel machine and then it moved to, you know, SBC tapes. And yep. now it's streaming and you can go back to your hotel room at night and they've already got it archived online and you can watch what was said just a few hours before. So we've come a long way. Uh, or you can sit in the hall and stream it on your phone into a handheld recorder whenever business is going on. So you have all the business on audio yeah. in the real, in real time. Yeah. Which, that's what I do. It's, <laughs> it's pretty. So during, during business things, you we haven't sat together with business stuff in a while because you've been backstage. Right. Like I'll sit in there with my handheld recorder plugged into my phone, plugged into my earphones. And yeah. I will record the business parts of it in case anything about Lifeway or whatever comes up. Yeah. That way I've got the audio to refer back to. Right. Right there um, in my hand, in my but fingertips. Very, very interesting. And then the story below is one that we covered before. But if you didn't ever hear that about the Pullman cars that were going to park to be uh, housing, that's a fascinating story. So I would highly recommend uh, you, you hit the link and read that as well. Uh, but, you know, we've got a lot of opportunities and ways to share what happens at the annual meeting and technology has made it really easy. Uh, but in some ways it all started this week in SBC history. All right. Well, that's going to move us to our resources of the week. My resource of the week is going to be the book revitalized by Andy Davis. He's the pastor at first Baptist Durham, North Carolina. I had a chance to sit down and interview him with Dr. Rayner on Wednesday of this week uh, while we were there in the Raleigh Durham area uh, about the book for Rayner on leadership. So uh, just a fascinating book. I had an advanced copy of it. I had to be able to read that and just, a great book talking about church revitalization and the power of God and, and how it's a it's church revitalization is a spiritual movement, not just some kind of man-made, you know, uh, gimmicks and things like that to, to get churches to come back to life. So 
Just a fantastic book on church revitalization. Highly recommend it from Andy Davis. Your resource of the week, Amy, is? Um, it's actually a book that I think you did a, a podcast with Dr. Reiner about this one as well. Uh, it's called The Money Challenge. Oh, and yes, we did. Art yeah, Rainer. Art, Art Rainer uh, has a book that is coming out uh, very soon, and uh, it, it's, it's going to release on June 1. Um, it's 30 Days of Discovering God's Design for You and Your Money. And uh, I, I've gotten a chance to read this already. It's a great book. Um, it, it certainly deals with personal finances, budgets, but it's actually um, hits on why you uh, why you get your finances in order, and that's to be generous. That's to understand what your yeah. purpose is. And it this this book pushes us to be generous from day one, um, and how we can do that. So uh, so it it kind of gets at the heart of why uh, we should should do this and uh, it's a it's a great book i'm excited that it's coming out um and uh, i think that you guys will have an interview coming out about that one as well yeah we do i have to get maybe i get a copy of one of those and, and give it away here on the on the podcast on our podcast very cool yes so all right well that's going to do it for this week's episode and episode 100 amy our first 100 episodes in the bag how about that here's to 200 Yep, and we'll get that started. Don't forget, we'll have a special episode 101 for the SBC preview. It'll be coming to you first part of next week and do a little special drop for that and put that at the top of the website. But uh, until then, we will see you uh, actually twice next week. See you next week. See you next week.